Man, I'm so excited to be with you guys this morning. As we're jumping into the Word today, I don't know about you guys, but my kids have one week of school left, and I'm so happy for that. I'm so excited for that. Because I don't have to wake up early and get them dressed and then go in the room six times and be like, are you dressed yet? And like, no, like, I'm so excited for that. I'm so excited I don't have to pick them up at the end of school and then like wait in a carpool line and then have everybody judge me because I wore my Crocs and my short shorts, right? I don't, want, I don't need that. I don't need that kind of heat. I just need to be able to do life and do me, right? I just, that's what I need. Like, hey, today was a Croc and short short kind of day, right? And so I'm so excited that, that, that school's over because all of that stuff ends. And if you're in a senior this year, man, congratulations on making it to the end. Enjoy it, yes. Because guess what? When August starts around, life don't care that you were a senior last year. You don't get no more spring break, right? You get adult life. But as, as, as like, I used to tell my, when we were youth pastors, I used to tell them all the time, I can't wait for you to graduate because you don't, get, you don't get spring break, you don't get summer break, you don't get any of those things. As an adult, I don't get that, and I don't want you to have that. I look at you in jealousy, and I don't want those things, right? Oh, misery loves company. Come be my friend, right? And so, but as, as we're entering and we're ending school, I, I love it. I'm excited for the kids to be home. But I'm also dreading that they're going to be home, and they're going to eat everything in the house. It's like they're bored, and all they want to do is eat, like their favorite hobby is eating, right? And I'm just like, you, well, we're going to turn you into a competition eater. How many hot dogs can you eat in 30 seconds, right? But it's crazy because all of these things are happening, right? As I'm looking at this and, and I'm doing the bills and we're doing our finances, all of these things are happening. If you watch the news, I'm a news junkie. I love the news. And recently I've had to turn it off because I've just been so anxious. I, I've, been, I've been so so weary. I've been so worrisome. Because as you turn on the news, right, you see all of these things are happening. Gas prices going up, right? Grocery bills are tripling in price. As I, as I look at my kids coming home, I'm like, dear Lord, we can't afford them to be here. i got to find a new place for them to go. Like, oh my gosh, we're going to send you to Papa Gamble's house. Y'all go over there. You can do everything you want over there, right? But it's crazy. But we see all of these, hap these things happening. Banks are collapsing and failing. We've got, we've got the, the Wall Street is going nuts with corruption. Right? All of these things are happening. As I begin to watch it and I begin to look at it, I begin to say, Lord Jesus, it's, our, our, our bills are not going to add up. Our budget is not going to make it. Lord, we have to do something. And I found myself getting in this mode where I have to do. I begin to find myself in this spot where I've got to, where, where I need this, where I have to do that. Where, where, what are we going to do? This is what we need to do. This is what I've got to do. And I found myself in this spot of working. And I got, in, I got into the spot where in my prayer time, I began to tell the Lord, Lord, you're going to bless this. Lord, this is what I need you to bless. Lord, this is what I need you to be a part of. This is what I need you to do. This is where I need you to show up. This is how I need you to do it. And I found myself in this spot where I was ordering the Lord around for what I needed him to do. And I was in my prayer time because out of all of this, out of the root of everything that I'm having here is I'm, I'm fearful. Lord, I'm scared. And because of this, because of the insecurity that I have in all of these things, my natural tendency is to reach out, grab it, and do it myself. And it was in my prayer time with the Lord. I just felt him begin to rebuke me. He said, son, do you trust me? I'm like, well, yeah. He's like, would you trust me with your finances? Sometimes. Just being honest, right? Like, yeah, 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 most of the time, right? He says, but right now you're not acting out of that. He says, right now, he says, you are acting out of pride. He said, what you're trying to do is you're trying to lead me around. What you're trying to do is show me what you need me to bless instead of letting me lead you into my blessing. 
And as I was just sitting there, I was like, Lord, what does this even mean? What do I need to be doing, Lord? How do I even begin to do this? And he said, son, you have to let go. You have to let go. Because I will grab things and I will do my best in my own strength to make something happen. I'll say, Lord, look, I amassed all of these opportunities. Lord, you have to bless one. Lord, look at all of what I've gathered. Look at all of the work I've done. Lord Jesus, you have to bless something. And many times we can work ourselves in a wrong direction. We can work ourselves in a spot that we don't even need to be. And as I was reading, I was led into James, James chapter 4, starting at verse 6. And it reads like this coming into James chapter 4, verse 6. It says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The title of today's message is Humble Brag. Look at person next and say, humble brag. If you've ever been around somebody that, that does that, they do that humble brag. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm late. I was leaving the Mercedes dealership. It took a little too long on the oil change this week. I'm like, shut up, Linda, don't nobody care, right? My truck's been going on 15,000 miles with the same oil change. That's a good old Ford, right? You know what I'm saying? But you've ever been around somebody that does that humble brag. You're like, are you kidding me, bro? It's like, all you're doing... All you're doing is pointing to what? To yourself. And you're trying to do it with false humility. But man, as I, was, as I was just reading that scripture, it's like he gives grace to those. He opposes the proud. He frustrates the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. And that word grace is defined by the unmerited favor of God. And it's where every single one of us desire to live is in the favor of God. As God is blessing you, as God is guiding you, as, as his favor is there, everything you do has the favor of God on it. But I have lived myself so many times in that prideful spot where it, it, instead of blaming what I need to be blaming is I'm blaming the enemy on why I'm frustrated. I'm blaming the enemy on why things aren't going right. What I really need to do is look in the mirror and blame myself because I've been so full of pride. Saying, Lord, I can do it. I've got it. Let, let me put my hands on it. Let me do this. Let me, let me get it in a spot. Then you can bless it. Then you can, you can go ahead and make it good. But first of all, let me go ahead and make it something. When James is saying, he said that he actually resists the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. That those who attitude is this, Lord, would you lead me into your blessing? Lord, I don't know what I need to be doing right now. Lord, I, I, I don't know where I need to be going. All I know is, Lord, I need a miracle and I need you to show up. When we posture our heart in a spot, in a place that's different, the results change. We, we, we operate in, in the world system. And people would look at us and say that humility is a weakness. Don't be, don't be, don't be humble at all. Humble Humility is a weakness. But you and I do not operate upon the world's system. We operate on kingdom systems. And he says that, man, in the moments where we humble ourselves, that he gives grace to us, that unmerited favor of God, and he pours that out to us. What happens is, is that we see that humility is rooted in confidence, but pride reeks of insecurity. And so when we're, when we're full of pride, when we're full of all of these things, what we really are saying is, Lord, I'm insecure in what you've got for me. Lord, I'm insecure that you actually know my situation, that you actually know where I'm at, that you actually know what I'm dealing with. 
Lord, do you have any clue of what's going on in here? You might be preoccupied with what's going on in Ukraine. You might be preoccupied with what's happening in India. Lord, you might, be, you might have your attention somewhere else, but let me tell you about me over here in Cedar Hill. Lord, let me tell you about what's going on over here. And because of that, that insecurity that rises up, you say, well, guess what? If you're not going to do anything, guess what? I will. I'll go ahead and I'll do it then. And then we'll see what happens. Then we'll see you show up and you bless me. Because I've worked so hard. And, I, and I've given you all the credit. Lord, I, I pointed everybody back to you. Oh, look how good God is. But I've done it out of selfish ambition. And I've done it out of pride. And he says he actually resists those people. And I think a lot of times what happens is our insecurity comes out of not knowing. We're not sure what he has for us. When we're insecure, it's because usually there's a lack of communication there. There's a lack of not knowing. There's been, there's been this time where, where I'm insecure because maybe time away. Maybe because I haven't spent enough time with you. Maybe because I don't know what your attitude is. Maybe we've been communicating only through these, these weird emojis and all these different things. And I'm insecure in the relationship. Why? Because there hasn't been any time there. Many times what happens is when we get insecure with the Lord, it's because we haven't spent any time with him. All we've been doing is working and saying bless, working, saying bless, working, saying bless, instead of being in communication with him and saying, Lord, what is it that you desire? What is it that you want? What is it that you need from me? See, if we understand scripture, we understand that he has the very best for us, that he desires the very best for us. We see in Jeremiah 29, 11, that it says that he has plans to prosper us. In Romans chapter 8, verse 31, it says that we are more than conquerors. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, it says your Father in heaven will give you good gifts for those who ask him. We see in Peter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, it says humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it says seek first the kingdom and everything else will be added unto you. We get into these spots sometimes where we get so insecure. Well, we get so like, Lord, what are you doing? Where are you at? It's because we fail to understand what he's already promised us. We try to create this new promise and we try to create this new thing. And we simply need to come back and say, Lord Jesus, I'm going to humble brag on you a little bit. I'm going to come in and I'm going to say, hey, I might not have it all together right now, but my God will show up. I might not have the answers for everything that I'm going on right now, but let me tell you something. My God will supply all my needs according to his riches. That we know these things and we can humble brag on God a little bit. But many times we take it under our control and we say, I need that next promotion. Well, I'm going to get it. I'm going to do whatever I can. If I see a weakness, I see a moment to seize, I'm going to take it on. We see in 1 Samuel chapter 24, David is in a similar situation. David at this point has already been anointed king of Israel. Right, if you know the story, Samuel the prophet shows up at David's house. David's dad brings all his sons, leaves David, you know, out by the sheep, hanging out, doesn't even bring him. David is then anointed king of Israel. David then we see kind of goes into the next phase of his life where he fights this guy by the name of Goliath. You might have seen it on pay-per-view, right? It was crazy. This is an awesome thing. Where David defeats Goliath. We see that David's life is set up. And he's going, and he's been promised the spot of king of Israel. That is his promise. That is where he is headed. He then marries into the royal family. He is now Saul's son-in-law. He's working in the service of Saul. David was a great uh, heart player, psalmist. He was a great musician. 
he would come in and the, and the scripture would say that the spirit of the Lord would leave Saul and this depression would come upon him. And the only thing that would soothe him would be David's plague. As David is serving in the kingdom, he's serving his father-in-law. Saul's attitude begins to shift towards David. And he literally sees David as the greatest threat to the kingdom of Israel and chases after him, trying to kill him, doing all these things. And in 1 Samuel chapter 24, we see it start off in this way. That Saul had just finished defeating the Philistines. He had just fought off the Philistines. And the very next thing that he's doing, the Philistines were this, were this other people group that would always oppose the Israelites. We see this next thing that, that Saul does is he gathers number one priority is enemy number one, public enemy number one, David, right? David is loved by the people. David has been on the run. David is moving from cave to cave to cave. He's just trying to survive and he's trying to live. And he's got this group of men with him that would go down in history as David's mighty men. And in, and in 1 Samuel chapter 24, we see that Saul gathers 3,000 of the Israelites to go and pursue David in the valley of En Gedi. And they're there. And David's men are hiding in a cave in the valley of En Gedi. And we see that Saul is with his men. And Saul has to, uh, if you go and you read the Bible, it says he had to relieve himself. Saul had to do the number two, right? That's what Saul does. We just, we just, we just, it's the scripture, right? It's in there. Saul has to do it. And so he goes in the cave. And he goes in the cave to do this in private. And in the very cave that Saul goes in to use, guess who's there? David. David and a band, and a band of men who are warriors, who are ruthless men, who know how to handle business, who are good with a sword, men who are quick to act, and led by the man that slayed Goliath, the man who was given a tall order to go slay 200 Philistines and bring proof back. He does this. David is a mighty warrior. David, being promised the kingdom of Israel, had been praying for that, Lord, deliver me from Saul's hand. This man has chased me all over God's green earth, moving from cave to cave to cave. I'm called to be the king, and this man has only opposed me. I have served him faithfully, and this man has only chased after me. Lord, deliver him into my hand. Lord, put me in my rightful place. And it's seemingly like this is that moment. Well, you walk out, walk Saul out of the cave, pants around his ankles, knife to his neck, tell all the other men, surrender, lay down your weapons, and you are now the king of Israel. And this is what begins to happen. We're going to pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 24, starting in verse 4. And it reads like this. It says, and the men of David said to him, David's mighty men, he said, here is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give your enemy into your hand. And you should do to him as you shall seem good to you. It says, then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterwards, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put my hand out on him and against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. The men of God, the men that David had with him knew David's prayers. And he said, David, this is the day the Lord had promised you. 
This is the moment. This is everything that you, you couldn't ask for a better situation. You couldn't ask for a better scenario. Minimal lives lost. This is how it's going to happen. There's no big battle. There's no big nothing. Saul's in the cave. He's by himself. You can go ahead and you can let him finish his business. Then take him out. This is it. This is the moment. As David sneaks up behind him, he cuts a corner of Saul's robe off. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of the Lord speaks to him, not this way. Not this way. See, we would look at it as this is your moment. This is what you've prayed for. You've been seeking that promotion. Your boss did this. You busted him. Expose him. Take his spot. We've been seeing it this way. This is your moment. This has happened. Seize your moment. Do it this way. But David understood this principle that we've seen lined out in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, that all authority is established by God. David understood this. And he knew that this was God's man for the hour. If David would have killed Saul in that moment, he would have been king. And everything would have changed. And everything in his life would have shifted to everything that he had prayed for. But the blessing of the Lord wouldn't have been there. David has to come back. Right? We're talking about warriors, dirt. I mean, just, just dogs. He comes back and he has to convince them. Well, you ain't going to do it, I'll do it for you. Well, so-and-so's already walking down a cave to go kill him. No, 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 get back here, Steve. What are you doing? I mean, I mean, this is the thing. He has to convince them not to do it. David understood. David understood that this man was established by God. That what seems right sometimes in the minds of men are not the ways of God. David's wise counsel, knowing him, knowing his struggle, and everything he's been a part of, said, David, this is all of what you've prayed for. This is it. This is, this is David, this is what you've asked for. This is your moment. And David doesn't seize it in that moment. And this is what happens, skimming down to verse 16. It says, when David had finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. He says, you are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you so badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he, not let, does he, does he let him get away unharmed? He says, may the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established into your hands. So in this moment, as David approaches his king in a spot of humility, in a spot of saying, Saul, let me show you, let me show you something. Brother, I am your son-in-law. I love your daughter, and I love you. And when you walked into that cave, I had the opportunity to take your life, but I didn't. And let me show you proof that I was there. And as he shows him this, he is now face-to-face -face with the man who has orchestrated an army of people to come out and to kill him. And he's having a courageous conversation with him in this moment from a spot of what? Humility. He doesn't come at him with pride. Look what I did. Look what I could have done. You better be careful. You better watch out. No, he comes to him from a space of humility. And what happens in that moment is the one who once oppressed him is now the one who is blessing him. He sets him in place as a king of Israel. My heart was wrong and yours is right. 
you will, surely you will be the king of Israel. Surely this is your place. And Saul asks him at the end of that chapter, David, do me one favor. Please do not wipe my family from this earth. Do not kill me. And David makes him the promise, Saul, I won't. See, many times we want to put our hands on things. And we want to approach things from a place of pride. Look what I can do. Look what I should have done. Look at all of these things that I've accomplished. But we see this, that that kingdom principle of humility causes a kingdom rise in accountability and and going up in, in what you're doing in success. We see these things happen. Well, there's no way to explain it. Where a spot of humility now now gets you in a place where you never, ever should have been. Where the person who once oppressed you, the one who was chasing you around, is the one who is now giving you the blessing for where you're going to be. You are going to be this, and you're so much better than I am at it. Let me tell you something, the favor of God is on your life. And I'll tell you this, Saul's attitude towards David in that moment shifted and changed. Everything about that moment changed. David still went from cave to cave to cave because he didn't trust Saul. And I wouldn't either. He chased me around for three years trying to kill me. He's like, I don't know. I'll wait for you to be in a hospice before I come around to you, right? He's like, I don't know. How many oxygen takes has he got left? Two? Uh, I'll wait for, the, for one and a half. We'll just we'll wait a little bit. Let him get a little bit weaker. But he didn't go home right away. But we see that David's spot of humility caused the one who was causing all of his trouble to look at him with favor. If David would have approached him in pride, I guarantee you that conversation would have been completely different. Everything would have shifted. Everything would have changed in that moment. 3,000 men, boom, ready to go, ascending right on David's men, knowing where they're at in that cave, knowing exactly where they're at. We see that he approached him with humility, and everything changed for David. In the 50s, there was this disease that was wiping people out like crazy. Half a million people dying around the globe. There was this, this disease by the name of polio. There was this guy by the name of Jonas Salk who was a, an American virologist, and he, and he studied all of these different things. And he ended up creating a cure for polio. He created the polio vaccine. You see people, they got this weird dot on their arms, like, oh, you got the polio vaccine, right? And it's crazy. It, it, was, it was an epidemic. It was wiping people out. It was crazy, and everybody was scared of it. And Jonas Salk ended up coming out with the vaccine for it. He came out for the thing that, that basically cured it. And what was crazy about his position and what he did was this vaccine was worth about $7 billion. $7 billion right now, we look at it and we hear billions all the time. And we have like like 15 billionaires on the list. But in the 50s, billion was a different number. I mean, this man would have been set for generations and generations to come. And Jonas Salk had an opportunity. Most people, what they do is they patent their vaccine so that they have it. They have the rights to it. Well, Jonas Salk saw that, that this was such a vital vaccine to the, to the future of humanity that he didn't put a patent on it at all. He didn't patent it. He gave away $7 billion of what would be profit and fortune for him and his family. And he gave that vaccine away. And because of that, it saved millions of lives around the world. Because of that, that spot of humility and where he was at, they would interview him, and they would ask him all of these different things. They said, Jonas, why did you do this? He says, because the kids need it. He said, how can you put a price on a cure for the very thing that they need? And for the rest of Jonas's life, everything that that man did, every bit of research that that man did, every single ounce, minute, hour was fully funded and paid for for the rest of his life. 
was crazy. And he went on to create other vaccines and other different things that helped humanity all around the world. All because he approached it from a spot of humility. A few years back, there was this guy that went down by the name of Pharma Bro. I don't know if you heard of this guy. The Pharma Bro, he ended up buying this, this patent on this pill that was saving the lives of people with autoimmune diseases. It, it was an absolutely crucial pill. And because the patent was open, they were able to make generic pills from it. This guy was, was a, a hedge fund manager, a very wealthy guy. He made a big splash because he bought the Wu-Tang Clan masters, right? This is a big deal. He, he spent a ton of money on these things. And they called him the Pharma Bro because when he got into Congress, he had to testify for what he did. He had to defend his position for what he did. The moment he bought this, this vaccine, he immediately, he immediately copywrote everything about it, which effectively ended the generic production of this drug. This drug, the moment that he took it over, life-saving drug. Insurance covering it 100%. The moment that he took this drug over, the pill was $17.50. The moment he took it over, Monday he buys it, Tuesday morning when they open, $750 per pill. It's crazy. You see this thing, that, that he changed it all. And he asked them, they, they began to ask him, and he was such an arrogant guy. You can go back and you watch it all. They, they would ask him in Congress, why did you do this? And he says, because I can. Because they'll pay for it. Because I'm amassing a fortune. And they asked him these things, right? What ended up crazy happening to this guy was he ended up being found out for fraud in other areas of his life. He ended up spending nine years in jail and having to pay $64 million in restitution, fees, and all these other things to the victims of the people that were, that were uh, uh, challenged and changed by his production of that pill. There's two different things that we see happen here. Where you had Jonah Salk who gave away the very thing that he created that saves millions of lives and his life was fully funded for the rest of what he did. You had one guy operate out of pride and greed and we see him now owing $64 million to the people that he hurt. Even in this, we see that humility gets us further than pride and greed ever would. We see these things playing out. So how in the world can you and I live in kingdom humility? And what does kingdom humility do? I want you to write these five things down on what kingdom humility does. Number one is this right here. In living in kingdom humility, it invokes God's strength. Living in kingdom humility invokes God's strength. We see this right here in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. It says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. When we approach this in humility, when we are living in kingdom humility, we invoke God's strength. Jesus was the most humble person when he took that cross for you and I. And it was rooted in confidence. We know this. That he says, I will defeat sin, death, and the grave in three days. He says, I will tear down this temple and rebuild it in three days. He was rooted in confidence. As he took that, as he took that, that cross and he bore all of those things for you and I. There was a humility that came with that. Knowing that, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. There was a humility that came with that. When you and I are living with kingdom humility, it invokes God's strength in our lives. And we can boast all the more in our weaknesses because we know this, that in our weakness, his strength is made perfect. The second thing we see is right here is that it activates God's grace. That living in kingdom humility activates God's grace. Going back to the key scripture of James 4, 6, it says, God opposes the proud but he gives 
grace to the humble. As we're living in that kingdom humility, it gives us grace. We abound in that grace. It activates God's grace in our lives. A few years back, my wife was going a little fast in Cedar Hill. And she had an opportunity to meet uh, one of Cedar Hill's finest uh, face-to-face and have a conversation with her. And the officer even asked for her signature at that moment, right? So she got a speeding ticket. She's going a little, a little fast. That's okay. And so when she gets a speeding ticket, she tells me, she's on the phone with me. She immediately calls me and says, babe, this is what happened. This is what's going on, all these things, right? And, uh, and when she gets home, I said, let me see the ticket. How fast were you going, right? That's, that's always the thing. like, how fast were you going, right? And so I get the ticket, and I see that the address is wrong for where it happened. I said, babe, pff, this is done. You're off. You're off the hook. The officer messed up. They're going to dismiss the ticket. You're done. And she's like, no, that's not right. I'm like, what are you talking about? That's not right. That's $250 that that's not right. Yes, it is right. No, 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 that's right. That's your birthday and Mother's Day gift. That is right. That is right. She's like, no, that's not right. I can't do that. And I was like, yes, you can. She's like, I've done it many times. Yes, you can. Right? Like, Let me tell you from an experienced sinner. Yes, right, this is how it works. And she's like, no, I can't do that. And I was like, all right, well, you do you then. And she says, well, I'm going go, to go to the police station and talk to him. I was like, why would you do that? You know what I'm saying? I was like, that's dumb. Don't do that. She's like, no, I'm going to go talk to him. I'm going to go talk to him. I was like, oh, my gosh. So she goes. She's like, I'm going to leave the house early. I was like, well, don't speed. Right? It's like, <laughs> get another one. Like, Just take them two. Say, I got two of them. Can we do two for one? Right? But I was like, hey, so, so she goes to the police station. She's like, all right, okay, great. She's like, um, I need to speak to Officer so-and-so. He wrote my ticket last week, and he got the location wrong. And the lady looks at her like she's crazy because she is. Right? And she looks at her crazy. She's like, uh, Officer so-and-so's not here. He's here on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Come back next week. And she says, okay. So she comes home. We're talking about it at dinner. I said, babe, how did it go to the police station? She said, they come back next She said, they, they said, come back next week. And I said, so we're off? You know, she's like, she's like no, I'm going to go back next week. She said, he's there on Tuesdays and Thursdays between 1 and 3. And I was like, will you pick up kids? She's like, oh, no, no, I'm going to organize it all. I'm going to go, and I'm going to talk to them, and we're going to get this thing changed. I said, babe, do you understand what you're doing, right? You are working to make yourself pay a ticket. You, you know what you're doing, right? And she said, yeah, I know. It's just not right. I was like, woman, you are crazy, right? I don't know how you and me are together, but mm, this is crazy. And so she goes the next week. She goes there. She's like, I'm looking for officer so-and-so. You said he'd be here on Tuesdays and Thursdays between 1 to 3, and I'm here. And she's like, oh, yeah, but he's on vacation this week. So she comes back home, and she, I was like, babe, did you get it all taken care of and settled? She's like, no, he's on vacation. I was like, that's it. You're done. Not going back. I forbid you to go. I forbid you to go back. You're not going back, right? So she's like, "Okay, I guess we'll figure it out." Well, a couple weeks later, right? We get back. I check the mail, and if you ever seen a little warrant card, you know exactly what that is, right? So I'm walking. <clears throat> there's a few people like, "Oh yeah, I know what that is, right?" <clears throat> I know what it is too, right? Full disclosure, right? Okay, here we go. And so and so we get there. I'm checking the mail. And I said, like, "Oh, uh, uh." And she says, "What?" I said, I know what this card is, right? And the kids are like, Daddy, what is that? I said, this is a ticket for Mommy to go to jail. This is what it is. And the kids are crying. <laughs> They're like, no, Mommy, right? And it was a pre-warrant. It was one of those things, if you don't show up, right? You've seen those. The colors are different. If you don't show up, right? If you don't show up, we're going to issue a warrant for your arrest. So she's like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my God, I'm so scared, right? I was like, well, you tried. You've tried multiple times to get this thing dismissed. You've tried a bunch, Right? For me, I would have already been arrested, right, already. They would have already just been like, we're going to come get you, right. But for her, she says, all right, I'm going to go in one more time with this thing. And I was like, we better because they're going to take you, and I need you. I need you. You're an integral part of this family, right. 
the kids are like, no, mommy, don't go, right? And so it was just, we, we, it, was, it was a crazy time, right? So Myrna takes it in. She goes in. She presents them their little card. And she says, you know what? This is awesome. We see that you've come up here two different times. She says, the officer's here today. Let's bring the officer in. The officer comes in and says, oh, you're right. I did get the spot wrong. Let me go ahead and correct that on the ticket for you. And I'm like, man, this is all dumb. What are we doing here? Why are we doing this? And the lady at the window said, hey, you know what we're going to end up doing for you? Because it was our mistake and you did come up here two times, we're going to go ahead. We're going to dismiss this ticket for you. And so she got the ticket dismissed. You would have seen me on Cops, right? I would have been on live PD running. You know, it's like using rosaries and holy water and all sorts of things. Just do whatever works flying out the car. What is going on, man? But for me, it would have been way different. But she approached it in humility. Because she approached it in humility, she invoked God's grace into the situation, and they let her off. And she got a birthday and a Mosaic gift that year, right? And so, but because she invoked God's grace through humility. Man, we want God's grace, and we want the unmerited favor of God abounding in our lives. And according to kingdom principles and how that happens, it's when you and I humble ourselves. And say, Lord, I don't have it all figured out. I don't really know how to do this, but Lord Jesus, lead me into your blessing. Lead me into your blessing. The third thing we see right here is this, is that when you live in kingdom humility, it allows God to promote us. It allows God to promote you. What you've wanted, what you've at, what you've prayed for. When we live in kingdom humility, it allows that avenue to open up for God to promote us. Because many times, what we think we want, we really don't. You don't want the problems that come with that spot. You don't want the hours that come with that salary. You don't want the sacrifice that comes with doing that. And so when we do this, when we open it up, instead of getting us in the wrong spot, God activates us and promotes us to the right spot. Well, son, this is what I've got for you. This is what Scripture says in 1 Peter 5, 6. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that, in, that he may lift you up in due time. Before I was full-time with the church, I, I, I was working a number of different sales positions. I got promoted, you know, from, from like sales guy to like over, like, like a little station manager and all these different things. And when I started really getting into my sales career, I started diving into, into all of the tech industry and everything that was happening there. And as I was moving into the tech industry and moving into, into these different areas, I, I was inexperienced in a lot of them. And I was sitting in these interviews and they would ask me, you know, are you qualified for this position? Do you know this technology? Do you know this, that, or the other? And I would say, I really, I really don't. I really don't. My first opportunity in the tech industry was with, was with servers and dedicated server providers and all these different things. I had nothing about it. And they asked me, well, what do you know about servers? I was like, the internet works. I, don't, I really don't know. I said, but I'm a quick learner and I'm good with people. And they said, okay, great. And they gave me an opportunity. And that opportunity came with a title. And that title really didn't mean anything to me other than I was able to provide for my family. And as I moved into that position, they, they, they moved me around a couple times and I got promoted to where I was at. And when it came time for me to leave that position, I had grown my, my sales accounts, you know, many times over, and I was at a good spot. And as I was looking to make a move to the next place, they sat me down and said, what do you know about this technology? And I was honest with them, because I, I never want to oversell and underdeliver. I want to be honest with them from the very beginning. Like, look, I don't know anything about that, really. But I'll tell you this, I'm a quick learner, and I'm good with people. And they said, okay, great, we're going to give you an opportunity. And that opportunity came with the title. And that title got me to a spot that I hadn't been before. 
and I was working there and I was doing great and I bounced around and I moved up to, I was leading that department. I left that department as sales director and that spot got me to where I would go next. Where I would be part of a startup company being and leading the entire sales team. Being the guy that was in charge. And when he sat me down and they interviewed me for what I was going to do, they said, what do you know about this technology? And I gave him the same answer I'd given everybody else. He said, I'm a quick learner and I'm really good with people. I don't know much about this technology, but I'll learn it. And I promise you this, man, I'll lead a team. I'll get your sales up and I'll do the best I can for you. I'll work hard. I got a good character. I'm integrous. I'll do what you can. And they gave me the biggest salary I'd ever had. They gave me the, the biggest promotion I'd ever had. And I was in that position. And every single one of those spots that I was at, I was extremely underqualified for. But because of favor and grace and humility, I was able to be promoted into spots that others weren't. Where other people would begin to knock on these doors, they would be closed. But I begin to see the Lord promote me. Not because of who I am or how good I am or how much I know or how much I studied and all these other things. But simply because I said, Lord, look, I don't know as much. And Lord, I'm going after you. And so, Lord Jesus, what I need is a job that still allows me to do youth ministry. I need a job that still allows me to serve faithfully at my church. I need a job that allows me to be home with my kids. I need a job that allows me to still be a good husband to my wife. And as I begin to chase these things, and I watch my friends chasing money, chasing after, after opportunities, watching them lose families, watching them lose marriages, I begin to live in the favor of God as I begin to watch Him promote me to where I was. Not because of my giftings, not because of what I knew, not even close, simply because I approach it with, Lord, lead me into what you've got for me. Lord, I don't know. I'm not the best. I'm not the greatest. Lord Jesus, I just approach it with humility. And as we do that, we activate and we allow God to promote us in those moments. The fourth thing is this right here. Is that as you do that, as you live in kingdom humility, it brings us favor without labor. It brings us favor without labor. This is what it says right here in Proverbs 10, 22. It says, the blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. It brings wealth without painful toil. It doesn't say it doesn't have toil. There's going to be work involved. But it's not going to be painful toil. If you ever come home and you felt like, man, I worked all day, but that was unproductive. But when you come home and you're tired and you know you've worked all day, but you know, we accomplished something. We did something good. Man, it brings wealth without painful toil. You don't have to labor for his favor. You don't have to labor for all of these things. It will actually be a joy to do this as we're living in the blessing of what the Lord has for us. Living in the midst of what that is. And the last thing is this right here. Is that when we live in kingdom humility, it creates an atmosphere of peace. Where you're not anxious about anything. You're not worrying about anything. In that Matthew 6 passage, Jesus is talking. And right before he says, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. He backs it up a little bit. He says, what can you do by, add, by, by worrying? You can't even add an hour to your day by worrying. And he gives the people this example. He says, Solomon, in even all of his splendor, didn't dress like the lilies of the field. He, he didn't spin and toil for any of these things. He says, I will take care of you. And we know this. And we know this. And we say, all right, Lord, look, then I'll submit under your mighty hand. That if I would seek first the kingdom, you know my needs. You know what I have to do. Then everything else will be added unto me. Then it creates this atmosphere of peace. Well, Lord Jesus, I don't have to worry about it. You've got it. 
I'll just stay faithful to what you've called me to. I'll stay faithful to the assignment in which you've given me. Lord, and you've got everything else. In Psalms 23, it reads like this, starting at verse 4. It says, even though I walk through the valley, the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come for me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cope overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That peace that we have. When we're living in that kingdom humility, knowing, Lord Jesus, you've got everything under control. There's a peace that begins to abound with where we're at. Knowing that even though we might walk through the darkest of valleys and the most terrible of times, that your rod and your staff, they bring me comfort. That although my enemies may amass all around me, and I may be surrounded on all sides, Lord, you set a table before me. You say, come and sit, lest you and I, let's talk. I love that about a Hispanic culture. We eat when we're happy and we eat when we're sad. Love it, man. Tacos, bro, like just come over. You, you got laid off? I got you, bro. Come over, parriada, right? We got it. We're going to make some tacos, right? You got a promotion? Come over, parriada. I got it. Let's go, right? It's awesome. It's great. And I'll picture that as we sit down before the Lord. And it's this beautiful table of everything that he's got. And everybody else is around you. And all the anxiety and everything is around you. But you're sitting down. And when you have dinner with somebody, you're not distracted by everything else that's going around you. You're locking eyes with them. And you're talking with them. And you're enjoying the meal. And you're enjoying the time. And he says, I am preparing a table like this for you in the presence of your enemies. It doesn't matter what's going around. You just look at me. I've got this. And the peace that we can have. When we live in this kingdom humility, knowing I don't have to make it happen in my own strength. That he will give me grace. The unmerited favor of God. As I just live in humility. If I just live and say, Lord Jesus, you've got it. It's all up to you. Lord, I submit to what you've got. If you would stand across the sanctuary with me this morning. Hey, thank you for joining us online here at Hill City. We're so honored that you would take the time to join us remotely and to celebrate the goodness of Jesus. I hope that word spoke to you. I hope that you were blessed today. And I hope that you are encouraged to go forth in the confidence of Jesus this week wherever you are. If you made a decision today uh, to serve Jesus for the first time, we want to celebrate with you. Would you text DECIDED to 469-606-2684? And uh, we want to respond and again, just connect with you and celebrate the beginning of an amazing discipleship journey with Jesus. Don't forget, next week we are here again, same place, same time, 9 o'clock. And until then, we hope you have an amazing week.